Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So let's just get started here. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? Ah, uh, you know it's it's awfully early to judge so far, but uh, <laughs> I, I at least uh, as as Chris and I always say, not radio. You only have to sound awake. You don't have to look awake. So uh, uh, long as the mind's in gear, I'm in pretty good shape. How about you? Uh, the same thing. My uh, morning started off nice. I couldn't remember the number, and I tried the old one eight hundred number. Yeah, and uh, when it when they answered, they said um, the most popular uh, talk show number available today, and uh, there's hot ladies just waiting. To talk to you right now. <laughs> so that's what they do with my old long distance line. I knew I knew they didn't want to pay the bill anymore, but uh, <laughs> uh, we we better not. Have a lot of people calling that one. Yeah. <laughs> at least not the kind of people we're going to be talking to at five thirty in the morning. Right, exactly. I um, have a kind of a side, side note question. Sorry, my dog's kind of going crazy here. Um, I have some cattle cubes that got soaked last week with the rain. Yes, sir. And, of course, you know, they're all... <clears throat> yes, moldy uh, and everything you know, else. What happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I happen to have seen that a few times. <laughs> Is there any way I can use that in the garden or around oh, sure. trees or anything? Sure, absolutely. Uh, they probably swell up and get a little bit crumbly, so I yeah. probably would walk on them or, you know, drive over that bag in your in your uh, vehicle, not a heavy vehicle. <laughs> anyway, powder it up as best you can, and this, then just kind of put it around on the surface of the ground. Uh, there may be some aflatoxins and things in there that you would not want cattle or other creatures to eat so uh exactly. but uh in in whether it's vegetable garden or flower garden certainly not going to cause any problem to your plants and uh you've got a reasonable amount of nitrogen because cattle cubes depending on which brand you're getting you've probably got 15 to 20 percent protein in there protein is almost uh well it's probably our best source of nitrogen so yeah think of it as a uh as an expensive fertilizer, you could have you could have bought a lot of fertilizer for the same money you pay for that uh, forty or fifty pound bag of cattle cubes. But but yeah, treat it, true. you know, you can use it as a mulch. You can uh, work it into the ground. Um, you can do almost anything you want to with it. I guess you could just throw it in the compost pile, but I think it's better than that. I think it'd be a fine mulch around. Uh, you know, I, I would put it somewhere you're, you're and I, I hear the dog in the background, at least I did a minute ago. And the aflatoxins are things that could grow on the corn that's in those cubes. So I probably would put it where the puppies can't get after it, but uh, anywhere that is away from them. And that means either working it into the ground or using it on the surface in a closed vegetable garden or something like that. Uh, you'd be fine to use those cubes in that fashion. Oh, great. That answered my question. I really appreciate that. Well, make a note of what that number is so you don't have to... uh you don't have to get yourself. I always worry that if you accidentally dial one of those numbers, you wind up on some list somewhere that someday people are going to try to bring it back to haunt you. So, uh, that, you know, remember that we're AM 550, we're 550. So that makes it pretty easy to, to remember 5555. So I look forward to visiting again, Larry. You get out and have a great okay. weekend. 
You too. Thank, Thank you, much. sir. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bill's turn next. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. First caller was funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, those of us that have cattle and who pay $10, $12 for a 50-pound bag of uh, a protein feed, when it gets wet, it just makes you kick yourself and say, why did I let that happen? So I, yeah, I'm afraid uh, I can de- identify with him. Yeah, but I was talking about the 800 number. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty comical. You know, I've got a call, uh, question about perlite. I've never used it before, but I had a master gardener tell me to work that into my into my uh, potting soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anywhere, anywhere I cannot use perlite? Well, no, there is not, but there are some places that I think you will not like it as well. Perlite is a very lightweight material. It floats like mad. Perlite was not developed for the horticulture industry. Perlite was developed to make lightweight concrete. And you see these, uh, you know, these stairs that two men can pick up and move around. You see these uh, pads that they put under your uh, AC unit outside, and somehow they don't seem to weigh as much as dense concrete would. That's what perlite was invented for, to make lightweight concrete. So um, we just happen to use it in the plant industry because it helps to open up soils. It helps to, uh, uh, it, it holds a lot of water, but at the same time, it holds a lot of oxygen. So it's one of those things that is very, very useful for rooting cuttings and things like that. Um, the, the couple of precautions about it is be sure when you buy perlite, uh, that you are buying horticultural perlite. It comes in a lot of different grades from very fine to a really, really almost popcorn size, uh, piece that they, that they call, uh, Oh, I guess that's what they call horticultural perlite, but it's uh it's an ore. It's a mineral ore that is heated to a very, very high temperature and it pops like popcorn. But when you're using it for horticultural purposes, you want to use one of the coarser grades. You don't want to use one of the really fine ones. You also want one that is free of fluoride because a lot of this perlite comes out of Mexico. A lot of it is, uh, is contaminated with fluoride and in a form that is toxic to plants. So you want to be sure that you're getting some clean perlite, otherwise you burn the heck out of the roots of your plants. So assuming that you do all this, assuming that you get horticultural perlite, it's fine to mix with potting soils, but I don't really like it in the garden because it floats, because when it rains, everything that's near the surface is going to come up to the surface and float off and float over somewhere that you didn't want it, and pretty soon you've got this layer of, uh, you know, tiny popcorn on top of the soil. So I don't really like it outside. I don't really like it mixed into garden soil. But to loosen up uh, any kind of uh, potting soil, whether it's cactus mix or whether it's your regular house plants, absolutely nothing at all wrong with it. And if you are trying to root cuttings, it's one of the two best, cleanest, most uh, contaminant-free materials you can use. So, yes, I am a big fan of perlite. And since you apparently like humor... I will tell you about uh, the ladies' garden club I talked to a number of years ago, and I was telling about rooting things in perlite, and this lady sticks up her hand, and she says, perlite? And I said, yes, ma'am, and she said, that's the first time I've ever heard of rooting anything in beer. So it is not pearl light. It is perlite, P-E-R-L-I-T-E, and now you know what it is and what to do with it. Yeah, but about a 50-50 mix is uh, 
It has no nutritional value. Oh, no, has no nutritional value and doesn't really have any uh, cation exchange value. Um, I would be going more like 20% into the mix. I think if you get as high as 50%, you're making it too light. It's going to dry out too quickly on you. But about 20% of your mix, I think, would be about right for perlite. Okay, Okay. great, super. Uh, second question, I've got an eight-year-old. Uh, I've got four pampa grasses I've planted around a palm tree. Okay, and I uh, kind of ignored them, and now they're six by six by six, and they're so big I can't even begin to get close to them uh-huh. because of the razor edge leaves. <laughs> yes, sir. What do I use, a machete or burn them? Um, well, you don't want to burn up your, your palm tree, and they don't burn very well. What you... It, it, what you have to realize is is pampas grass is sort of all or nothing. Uh, you either let it grow and do what it wants to do, or you take it all the way out. There's really no effective way to cut it back and still have it look nice. Uh, I mean, if you cut it back, you want to cut it back, you can, but it'll take a year for it to look like anything, and it's just never going to look quite the same. Um, the limited times that I've had to work with it, I get not uh, pruning shears, but head shears, so things with the long blades. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll put on, you know, a good tough long sleeve shirt, and I just get in there and just kind of start on one edge with the old, uh, you know, whacking my way into it. And uh, I've I've actually cut them back pretty successfully, and only get nicked one or two times in the whole process. But uh, long bladed, and they're called head shears rather than pruning shears, are going to be the best way to do it. Uh, do not try okay. to use a chainsaw; it will bind up and jerk that saw around to where it becomes dangerous. And yeah. uh, <laughs> and I hope you've learned your lesson. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of pampas grass. I lived in uh, New Mexico for a while. My father was with the government, and we uh, we spent a, a few years out there. Let's see, that would have been my junior high years. And uh, everybody out there plants pampas grass, and I it's so hardy. Yeah, it's it's super hardy. It oh yeah, screaming back after the winter months. Yeah, it's got all dead all those dead leaves underneath. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Do they make a dwarf? version there are some beautiful dwarfer ornamental grasses but none of them uh that are that same the genus is cordadera or something like that if i remember right and i'm not familiar with any dwarf forms of actual pampas grass but we have some native grasses that uh um, you know, the gulf muleys, uh, the pink muleys, some of the penicetums that are, I think, equally beautiful. They don't grow to the size of pampas grass, but they sure are easier to deal with. Yeah, I've got about a half a dozen of them that look very, very similar. They're not yeah. quite as sharp on the edges. And not quite as big. They're not nearly as big, about a third the size. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Well, it's a pleasure, Bill. You have a wonderful weekend, and let me say good morning to Paul. What's going on, Paul? Hey, in my uh, vegetable garden, my zucchini plants. I've never tried growing yellow zucchinis before. Okay. But my wife, my wife bought the Bonnie pre-started plants. We have a green and a yellow zucchini. Okay. And they've they've both flowered like three times. But right. There's still no fruits coming from them. There's no produce. Okay. Well, here's what's happening, and there's a white zucchini as well, and they all taste the same if you close your eyes, but. Uh, uh, like all squash, the first several flowers that come out on each vine are male flowers. 
They okay. they couldn't make a squash any more than you could have a baby. Uh, so what you're going to have to wait for, and they'll be coming up within the next week or two, you'll start having female flowers. And once you have female flowers, assuming that you've got insects to pollinate them or you get a little paintbrush and do it yourself, uh, about four days from the time they get pollinated, you're going to have edible-sized zucchini. And the same rules apply as for green zucchini. You're not trying to see how big a squash you can grow. You want to harvest them when they're five, six, seven inches long, and uh, like I say, they all taste the same. Uh, you can sometimes buy a package of seed they call tricolor, and it's a mixture of the uh, green, the white, and the yellow, and they're all delicious. But uh, just hang in there because you're just, if you look into those flowers you're seeing now, you'll see this big yellow mass in the middle. That is the, those are the pollenia. Those are the things that produce the pollen, which will pollinate the female flowers, which will be along with in the next week or 10 days. I don't know how you know so much, Bob, but I love listening to you, and thanks for the information. Well, I started at my grandfather's greenhouse when I was five years old. That was several years ago, and there are very few things I can remember, but for some weird reason, the good Lord gave me a brain that latches on to plant information. So, uh, Plus the fact I think I've made every mistake you can make in gardening, and I, I am a good learner. I am a, a great devotee of Will Rogers saying that uh, good judgment comes mainly from experience, which comes mainly from bad judgment so anyway uh, i'm not all that smart i just happen to have uh, done a lot of things in the plant world and it's my pleasure to share them with you paul you get it and have a great weekend too thank you you too sir thank you sir <laughs> bye okay let's get ray in here making it all the way through the first four and uh, maybe even one more good morning ray morning 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 uh, sir i got a meyer lemon and a mexican lime growing within four feet of each other in pots Okay. The uh, the mix the Meyer lemon has got green spots on the leaves and well whatever leaves are left I think some grasshoppers got after them. Okay. Now, we we consume these so I don't want to put anything toxic on these Meyer lemons. Sure. Uh, what what can I do for the green spots and then second what about what I think is grasshoppers? Okay. Um, now the green spots are Excuse on me, not other green spots. I'm sorry, they're brown spots on the green <laughs> Okay, okay. It, it's probably related to winter. It's probably related to drought. I'm not going to, having gotten a little too dry at some point, all I'm going to put on both of those plants is just some good fertilizer. Uh, get one of the good liquids from Espoma or get some uh, Medina Hastergrow plant or their fish product and be feeding both of those citrus, uh, give them, you know, some liquid fertilizer about every two weeks. Um, the new growth that comes out on your trees should be totally free of brown spots and uh, should be much more vigorous. And, of course, now are these in pots or are these in the ground? Pots. Okay. Yeah. You'll need to watch your watering. You know, what I always tell people is there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. When you water those plants, flood them. And then let them go until they're dry about an inch deep and then flood them again. And it may not be on the same schedule. The one that has the more leaves is the one that's going to dry out the most quickly. The one that has the most roots is going to dry out more quickly. So you may find that one of them needs water less often than the other one does. But just be sure when you do water that you really, really flood them. But if you get them on a good, uh, you know, on a good liquid fertilizer every couple of weeks, uh, these problems will go away with the new leaves coming out. Okay. 
So I'm not sure what ate them or ate those leaves. Even even ate the uh, the little lemons on them. Yeah, they're gone. Have have you seen grasshoppers on them, or does this damage seem to occur mostly at night? Mostly at night. Okay, it is probably it's probably a big old fuzzy caterpillar. Uh, they're um, called a woolly bear. It's a black caterpillar, has kind of orange rings around it, and they can hide out in the day to where you'll never see them. They come out at night, and they will just absolutely devour foliage and fruits both. And if that's what it is, um, then there's a, a non-toxic, very non-poisonous product that you can use on them. Anything that contains what they call BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. Yeah, get the liquid form. It'll be more effective than the powdered dipel. And add maybe a tablespoon of molasses uh, to your spray when you mix it up. And if it is caterpillars, which I think it likely is, um, you know, one spraying will last you for several weeks. Now, don't just go spray it everywhere because it's toxic to all caterpillars. There is actually a different caterpillar on your that gets on citrus sometimes that we call it a bird dropping caterpillar because it looks just like bird poop it's kind of black and white they don't usually do much damage i usually leave them alone because they make a beautiful swallowtail butterfly but if you're not seeing any sign of the caterpillars it's just happening at night uh, I'm going to tell you, it's probably the woolly bear caterpillars. BT will take care of them. If you have a problem with grasshoppers, uh, the best thing we can do nowadays is put on. Uh, there's something called kaolin clay. You can buy it at a hobby shop or somewhere like that. It's what uh, potters use in uh, creating clay pots. And you mix it with water, spray it on the leaves, and then the grasshoppers don't want to eat the leaves. If you don't buy it from a hobby shop, you can get it at many nurseries under the name of Surround, S-U-R-R-O-U-N-D, Surround WP, which stands for wettable powder. All it is is kale and clay with a much prior high, higher price tag on it. But uh, uh, this is kind of a gritty material, and apparently it causes grasshoppers problems if they eat it. And um, that's, that is the best way I know of to protect your plants. Now, of course, you put out a bird feeder. Birds love to eat grasshoppers and, um, you know, just the good old physical foot upon the grasshopper, if you're fast enough, will do the job. But when you see grasshoppers, we used to have a good bait called Semispore or Nolo. Right now, it's just not on the market. So uh, uh, the deterrent, the Surround WP, which you can also buy under the name of Kale and Clay, is going to be your best way to stop grasshoppers. Great. I bought a Pride of Houston holly yeah. from you a couple of years ago. It's doing great. It's got three branches growing out of the ground. Uh-huh. Cut two of those off with some uh, snips and just work with just one, sure. one trunk. Sure. If you've ever looked at that big one over at our nursery, that's what we did because we didn't have room to let it be full at the base. I would go ahead and do it as soon as you can before it puts a lot of energy into uh uh, foliage that you're then going to cut off. But if you want to make a what we call a standard, a single trunk tree out of it, uh, with Pride of Houston Yopon is a great a great plant to do that with. That's why I bought it. I saw the one you had in the store. <laughs> well, it'll take yours a few years to get that big, but uh, it all begins today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, Ray. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Well, I think we have time to get Art in here this hour. Good morning, Art. Hey, greetings, Bob. Uh, seed starting questions. Okay. Uh, I want to start some um, 
Poblanos, they're called Massivo Hybrid. Okay. And then I got some uh, New Mex Heritage 6 4. Uh, and that's critical because the wife needs it for a wedding. Uh, <laughs> like jellies. <laughs> At any rate, what is going to be my most effective, best seed soaking and uh, putting them in the seed starting mix? Okay. Well, with peppers uh, in particular, they love to be soaked in saltpeter and potassium nitrate. Um, okay. The rate is a couple of tablespoons to a quart of water. Soak them for maybe 30 minutes or so. And I imagine you could reuse that solution over and over. I wouldn't mix your seeds up in it, but uh, uh, right. you could soak one batch of seeds and then very carefully decant the water off of that container and pour it in over another batch of seeds. But uh, peppers in just as um, more so than anything else, that potassium nitrate is the thing that seems to make them germinate better. Now, most seed, I just use garret juice. Uh, I think it works fine, but uh, all the pros that I know soak their pepper seed in potassium nitrate. Uh, if you can still find it under the name of saltpeter, uh, you might find it in a nursery under the name of, stump, of a stump remover. If you come into San Antonio sometime, there's a place out off Bandera Road called Analytical Scientific where you can actually buy what they call reagent-grade uh, potassium nitrate, which will be the easiest one to dissolve. Um, and it's not terribly expensive, but it uh, used to be able to buy potassium nitrate everywhere. And then with the state of the world the way it is, seeing it how it can, if it's improperly used, it can be somewhat explosive. Um, so all of a sudden, it's not available most anywhere. But it is the active ingredient of what they call stump remover. And, uh, I, you know, you may try some of your feed stores down in Floresville. may still have it under the name of uh, saltpeter. But uh, if you have to make the trip up to San Antonio, you don't need but, you know, a few ounces of it. So it's, uh, it's going to be the inconvenience of getting it, not the cost. Well, I think I got some that may be old, but I'll give her a whirl. You today. know, like like uh, many of these uh, chemical salts, which is what it is basically. As long as you keep it dry, it lasts forever. As a matter of fact, in the old days, um, it's what uh, the early militias, Civil War times, and even Revolutionary times. Uh, it's something that they would find where they had large amounts of animal manure, just kind of a white. Uh, substance out there so it's actually a natural substance but as long as it stayed dry it should be just fine 